Brothers and sisters, ladies and gentlemen, people of all ages, welcome to the third episode of the Sticky Floors podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, CJ. I'm joined by my other co-host, Will. Today, we are discussing Oppenheimer. So if you've been listening to the show, the first two movies that we did were movies that have been out for a while. And so there's a lot of opportunities to go and see them or there has been because of how long they've been out out of theaters at this point. Uh, But tonight we're going to talk about a movie that is still in theaters right now. So if you have not been to a theater or you've not seen an Oppenheimer, um, this is your spoiler alert. You might want to hit the stop button here, go to see it, and then come back and listen to this very, very entertaining discussion that's about to happen about the movie Oppenheimer. Um, so, Will, I know that that, you know, we talk about, you know, the movie going experience. Um, you know, we both had to go to movies, obviously, movie theaters recently right. to see this. So um, when you went to go see Oppenheimer, just tell me, what was the what was the vibe like in your oh, theater? Man, definitely. There was a very. Abundance of individuals wearing pink and white. And it just so happened to be <laughs> that Oppenheimer was playing simultaneous as Barbie. So once I got oh yeah, yeah right. So once I got past all of the Barbieites uh, and pseudo Kens, uh, then I just happened to see a demographic that had a wide array of ranges uh, from uh, elderly couples, and I mean like. 80 year olds you saw them with canes walkers so perhaps they were able to remember firsthand experience of what it was like during that particular period because they are of that generation Mm -hmm. and then i would also see literally um whole families kids maybe around the age of 10 to 12 years old with their parents um didn't matter the race or uh ethnicity of these individuals i've seen uh sheiks i saw spanish-speaking couples uh black couples everyone i mean it was a mix on the day that i went right and see right away we know you're in the northeast so it's always gonna be a mix of people anything you go to anywhere you go you're gonna see that i would say like my theater wasn't wasn't that different in terms of demographics now i will say i went to like a 10 p.m showing so i went to like i I went to a theater late and it was probably maybe I would say two two thirds full, which was amazing for that time because yeah. this is a three hour movie. So if you when you go to see this, you got to yes. be prepared. You know, you got to know I'm gonna be in the movie theater for a while. I was in a now now despite the, the title of the show being <laughs> Sticky Floors, like I was not in a <laughs> Sticky Floors theater by any stretch of the imagination. I went to a nice theater and uh, it was definitely nice yeah. seats and. Definitely uh, quality food and beverages available, which, you know, I think you need that because this is a, you got to pack yourself. You got to get yourself mentally and, and physically prepared for being in a movie theater like this uh, or to see a movie like this. And I, and I will just say that um, I think this is a movie that you have to see Agreed. in a movie theater. I think I text I think I yep. texted that yep. to you as soon as maybe even yeah. while the movie was happening. I texted that like. You got to see this in a movie theater. I, I don't know how you're going to recreate the mm. sound of like the development 
parts and the testing yeah. of the bomb of the of the atomic bomb that happens when I when they did that in the movie theater the the vibration that they had going through the chairs the sound the lighting it's a movie experience it's a real cinematic experience um if it's something like certain movies just don't translate the same okay. way to uh, a regular screen i don't you know i don't care how big your tv is i think this is one of those things the only thing i would caution though is the beverages man Oof. three hours you, you may yeah. <laughs> i don't know bladder control for some people in that theater because i kept seeing people yeah. get up and i was like i'm like nah right right you, you, Right. Well, you know, like the good thing is that if you get up and you walk out, you can always just go to Wikipedia and read the story and find out <laughs> what happened. Right. So you can do that. You can do that. But um, so, all right, so look, let's let's uh, let's get into this before we get started. Just as a quick synopsis of the movie for those that haven't seen it yet or for those who haven't listened to the show to get our opinion on it. So the movie Oppenheimer is, of course, about the um, the scientist J. Robert Oppenheimer. Um, who is credited with the development of the atomic bomb and basically overlooks, overviews the period of his time where he was rising as a physicist and then goes through his um, working with a group of other scientists on the development of the atomic bomb and then spends sort of uh, concurrently runs a story of what happened to him after the bomb was dropped and how his politics sort of changed around um, weapons of mass destruction and uh, nuclear escalation between the United States and Russia and all of the different ways that that painted his picture in history, in history books for the person that he, he is today and how he's known today, or maybe how he's not known today. So that's a, an overview of the, of the book, I mean, I'm sorry, of the movie. If you haven't seen the movie, um, you know, there is a, a spoilers alert. However, you can read about this because this is about a real person. So I don't know how much of this is really spoilers, but hey, you know, I'm trying to respect people's uh, entertainment pleasures, right? So one of the things that you talked about, Will, was when you went to the theater, you know, there were a lot of people going to see yeah. Barbie, right? I think that one of the most masterful things that was done with this movie was the Barbie Oppenheimer, Barbenheimer, um, somewhat organic marketing campaign that cut across so many lines and like all good marketing sold the product right so they what they did was they created a a i would say almost a false yes. dichotomy that said well if you're this type of person you should go see this movie and if you're that type of person you should go see okay. that movie but in between that, in, in any kind of dichotomous situation, there is this pressure of like, if I'm for this thing, I need to go see it because that means I'm against that thing. So if I'm, you know, a man, I should go and see Oppenheimer. If I'm a woman, I should go and see Barbie. If I'm, you know, conservative, I should go see Oppenheimer. If I'm a progressive, I should go see Barbie. Like, just all of these kind of clever ways that people can be... Uh, manipulated into purchasing something, you know, it, it was just amazing to me. And I'm, I'm sure you saw that in your theater too. You saw, and you, you probably heard about that same kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, right? and uh, I think uh, credit to you for in our pre-discussions where you pointed out um, the writer strike and also the actor strike also being a contributing factor as to why these movies were promoted simultaneously and in the manner in which they were. 
uh, I remember there was this big discussion about there's only so many movies that you could play on the, I think it's the IMAX screen. And so uh, that competition yeah. to be able to do that yeah. uh, and hence the reason why some movies got pushed up and others were like, hey, you know what's going on? And I'm pointing to the recent Mission Impossible movie where uh, they were a little frustrated yeah. with how they might be uh, limited for the amount of time that they would be in uh, theaters on the IMAX screen due to uh, Oppenheimer and Barbie coming out. Um, I think you also touched upon something too that I just want to bring, I want to highlight a little bit more. And that's that whole uh, Barbie uh, is strictly for this specific demographic and it's in strict contrast to the Oppenheimer. This uh, linear binary thought is uh, also the reason why boxing matches sell real well when it's a, a black fighter versus a white fighter or when uh, you have an election mm -hmm. where you have someone who's mm -hmm. ultra conservative and then they try to uh, somehow uh, contrast that with somebody who's ultra liberal. It's the reason why uh, the senator from New York still gets so much publicity when she does anything versus where uh, the uh, senator, uh, yeah, the uh, house, is, is he? A, yeah, I think she is a senator uh, in California where uh, basically she is unfortunately yeah. poor health. Mm -hmm. Um, notice I'm deliberately not using names as I don't want to disparage or have anyone say yeah. that I have, uh, spoken ill of them. Um, <laughs> and then you also have the, uh, Senator out in, uh, Kentucky, who is also having, uh, uh, unfortunate health issues. Um, so I, I just want to point that out that this dichotomy of the so-called, uh, um, uh, happy queen, the, uh, um, the queen of dreams versus the, the, the Lord of Death, which also makes me think of that uh, Nicolas Cage. Uh, <laughs> I like the term uh, Lord of War. Yes, great movie. Yes, mm -hmm. yeah, I love that movie. Yes, definitely. One day, one day, we're definitely going to talk oh, about no that. Oh, no question. That was good no one. question. And I think that hit home for me when I'm in that theater, where I was sitting next to a, a gentleman who was roughly about, and I say gentleman, but you know, young enough to be my son, might have been like 19, 20 years old, and then next to him was a black couple with their kids. And then in front of them was an elderly couple who I had seen come in with a cane. So that contrast of who was going to see that movie, I wasn't prepared for that. And I went at approximately four, four thirty. So I made sure to go in the afternoon because okay. I was not going to pull a trooper. Yeah, like you. Went yeah, I, I couldn't do that, dude. I don't know how you did it. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I don't know how I did it either, but I'm, I'm glad I did. I think that, um, I don't know. So first of all, I mean, let, let's, the idea of building a campaign around people going to a movie for an, ex like, as if going to the movie is a supporting of your team is not a new concept, right? right? You and I, we're both Star Wars movie yeah. fans. You know, five years from now, when there's another Star Wars movie, there will be a lot of people going to the movies dressed up like Jedis and Stormtroopers right. and Wookiees. And that's all, that's been there for a long time. Um, even when like the first Black Panther movie came yes. out, there was a lot of people going to the movies dressed in traditional African clothing, yeah. um, which I cannot wait to talk about that either <laughs> one day. But <laughs> but you know, like, there's nothing new about that. I, I'm I would be interested to see if there's going to be another push for another movie or another set of movies to try to make them work like this with this kind of marketing campaign well it was at a grassroots because level so i 
Yeah, but and, and I, but I think like it that actually helped to sell both movies. Like both of them have made a lot of money to this point. I think Barbie's already over a billion dollars. So it's like these movies are making a lot of money. I think uh, Oppenheimer's over half yeah. a billion. So they're maybe even more at this point. So they're making a lot of money. At the end of the day, you know, they're selling a product. Whatever kind of marketing campaign works around it, that's what you do, right? So I just yeah. think, like, from a, well, from a cultural standpoint, it would be interesting to see. That. Well, she, she, listen. If I if I make you a billion, you can pay me fifty. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's not that's not a bad. That wasn't a bad investment. If fifty million gets you a billion, that you should take those bets. You know what I'm saying? So they listen. I know that there'll be a Barbie part two. I know there definitely will not be an Oppenheimer part two. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, let's let let's jump into let's jump into this. So you know, we talked a little bit about the cultural impact. Um, I think that this movie, I've I, you know I've read things, I've heard things that that even Christopher Nolan has said that this movie is also about. Uh, where we are right now as a society around artificial intelligence, right? And about this notion that if, you know, you're in a situation where people are rushing to create something that is going to change the world, if they are not doing that in the most cautious way possible, there's a chance that they can destroy everything, right? And I, even even in the Oppenheimer movie, there's this, you know, if there's this concern they have very early on that in the creation of the atomic bomb, they may destroy right. everything. And they can never be 100% sure that that's not going to happen. In fact, they say that the possibility of that happening is near zero. <laughs> right? They can't say that it's zero. They say that it's near zero. But what do you want from a so theory? It'll, so, you know, like, right, what do you want from a theory? But what do you think about this movie as being a, um, I guess like an allegory for the creation of like artificial intelligence. Wow. That's a very interesting uh, question, especially, uh, you know, like I said, you're, you're a very interesting guy. So I, <laughs> I appreciate that, sir. <laughs> Good to I, I try to compliment those that are around me, you know, birds of a feather and all. Um, I would think though, uh, in all seriousness, we had a conversation earlier with uh, a few of other of our, uh, our brethren, um, and we were talking about the mark of the beast and uh, the new technology that's being implemented where there's a chip in your hand uh, for certain jobs um, that you're, you know, you go to your office, you scan your hand and you're, you're ready to go versus this new technology that uh, I believe it's, uh, what is it, Amazon or was it uh, Whole Foods or something like that where they were implementing uh, scanning your hand, but based upon your... Um, uh, your fingerprints, your palm prints. So, um, you know, they give you, you, you present your mm -hmm. credit card, uh, in case for those that don't, that don't know, this is in the experimental phase. So, uh, the trial phase. So they, you present your credit card to Amazon or whoever, I forget it is, but I think it is Amazon you present your credit card to them. Uh, in turn, you also allow them to take an imaging of your fingerprints, handprints. And then from there, you can just go up in, Amazon, pick whatever you want or Whole Foods or whatever it is. And you grab, you make your purchase and with your transaction, you just scan your hand. You don't even, you don't even swipe your card or place your card over the uh, reader. I say that to say this. 
for me, there's always been a demographic that has always tried to exceed their limitations. And Icarus comes to mind. Um, and then I think of Terminator, obviously, and I think of iRobot, and I think of just how we sow the seeds of our own destruction. We are the only entity on this planet that literally tries to replicate itself with a newer, better, faster, smarter model. We call them children or progeny. Um, <laughs> and now... I remember you said that last week. Yeah. Well, I mean, think about it, dude. You know, children... We, it's it's essentially like we owe we don't own children but rather they own us because we wear our hearts on our sleeve when it comes to them uh we are less in control of of our own emotions and thoughts than what we think because uh these children are out in the world and they're going to make mistakes and they're going to get into things that we may not necessarily agree with but we have to be there to pick up the pieces support them help them grow learn etc cetera, etc cetera. Uh, mm -hmm. So it's a lot of things out of our control. These themes that I'm touching upon, they're not the same case with AI. With AI, they're talking about it being sentient right now and the jobs that it's going to replace right now and how it's going to be so much improved. But we don't even like each other if we have a difference in an opinion, let alone anything more superficial like skin color, <laughs> hair texture, uh, yeah. height, weight. It, like So it just amazes me that we think that this robot who's not able to think completely like a human with emotions and be able to say hey you know what i can make the distinction between making this new improved uh hydrogen bomb and dispersing it all over when my mandate is hey we had again we have to improve things and we have to eliminate uh caustic uh individuals and they can't make that 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 discrepancy and i think that's the same case in oppenheimer where he is literally going into this with the creativity and the naivete which they talk about throughout the entire time uh what what he's responding to uh uh casey affleck's character major general posh or even when he's responding to matt damon's character general leslie uh groves uh he's not familiar and it takes one of his own colleagues to say to them hey take off the uniform you're not one of them you're one of us yeah, not not a soldier. Soldier. Yeah, and a I think the fact that he mm -hmm. didn't snap out of it until it basically was too late. And that's why he was getting grilled throughout the entire movie about his alliances. And I think that harkens to the yeah. fact of he's like Pinocchio in certain ways. He's like a robot in certain ways. And the things that he's creating is like the equivalent of a robot. Because once that curve, there's no coming back. You can't put the uh, proverbial toothpaste back in the tube. And I, I, I just found it like... Yeah very metaphorical allegorical uh comparisons that we're juxtaposing between then and now and the future there's um yeah there there's you know i, I don't you know we're, we're sitting here in 2023 mm -hmm. right we do not yet know what artificial intelligence will ultimately yeah. become right i don't think anyone no. knows our only real reference points our movies, which have always shown yes. going bad, right? So you reference like the Terminator and iRobot and these kind of things. It, it's funny because there's a there's a I know you watched the show uh, Secret yes, Invasion, yes. right? And there's a there's a part in that show where Sam Jackson's character Nick Fury 
basically arguing with another character about the presence of alien beings that can shapeshift among uh, people called scrolls and how many of them, over a million of them, are, are in the show, like in the on the planet Earth. And he makes this statement that why why would you think that a planet of people who can barely figure out how to get along with their own species would be yes. prepared to have another species right. on the planet with it? And it's kind of the fear. I think if there if there is a fear that's attached to artificial intelligence and once again, I don't know. I don't have a crystal ball for what this is going to look like. I don't think any of this does. But I do think that as a species, we have a, a sense of realistic caution about what might happen based on how we have seen super uh, technological advancement impact the society at this point. And to bring it back to this movie, Oppenheimer, you can argue whether or not the world is safer because of the creation of an atomic bomb. Did that in some way make the world better or did it just tilt things closer to a potential global destruction, right? There's a, there's a line that stood out to me when I, when I was watching the movie and there's something that Oppenheimer said when he's like talking about the work that he's doing. And he said, the bigger the star, Mm-hmm. the more violent right. its demise, right? And that was such a powerful line because I think it's applicable to so many different kinds of situations, but particular to man's desire to create and sometimes the driving force behind that. Whenever we're in a situation where people are rushing to create something, um, to be the first to do something that no one else has ever done before, there's a potential for... Uh, chaos or potential for for disaster. When that is amplified by money and by like, if I can be the first person to develop something that can do this, <laughs> I can make more money than the next person. That's usually something that should bring you a lot of caution because that's usually when things have the best chance of going off the yeah. rails, right? And so it's going to be very interesting to see how this plays out. And I think as a as a period piece and as a movie if part of what this is talking about is to consider our actions on the verge of now this new um, technological jump forward artificial artificial intelligence, I think that this movie hits the nose on what could happen with that. And so, yeah, I, that's that's what I would say there. And I, and I guess now, I guess now that we've kind of talked a little bit around the movie, we can we can really get into it, right? So, get into um, the, what we want to talk about. So. As you know, in our show, we talk about the cake and the hate, right? And the cake are the things that we really liked about the movie. The hate are the things that we didn't, but we still want to talk about it, right? And I have a couple of, of scenes and a couple of uh, comments that I saw that I that I, I thought the movie were amazing um, that I'm going to talk about in the cake part. I know you have a couple, too, as well. Um, so I'm just going to run okay. it down. The first thing, I loved how... In the movie, there would be like a scene, people were talking and were talking, and there would be like a flash scene to like uh, an explosion or something like that. And I thought, and I'm going to come back to this in the conclusion, it was always kind of showing you the inner world of what Oppenheimer himself was thinking or experiencing. So on the surface, it might look like everything was fine, 
but inside there was an explosion that was happening. And every time those scenes happened, I thought it really conveyed his emotional, psychological, mental state while not having his character expressly show that in the scene as he was talking. So that was the first thing that I thought was, um, I love those scenes. I talked about it before, you know, the vibration in the theater of the bomb test scene is amazing. Um, the sound quality, the cinematography for this movie mm-hmm. is just outstanding. I mean, this is, I've said it before, I think this is, this is like true cinema. Like you go, you go to this, this is a movie experience you will remember. And, you know, if, if a year from now, whatever, there's a, you know, this is up for an Oscar, you know, for best picture, it deserves it. Because it, it, it was that good. And, and the cinematography loved that part of it too. Um, other, other, two other scenes that kind of jumped out to me. One is um, the, the, when they were deciding where to drop the bomb, it was a conversation they're having with um, someone from, from the administration, the president's administration. And they're trying to decide where to drop it, a bomb, a bomb that's going to kill hundreds of thousands of people. And he basically makes a comment like, well, we don't want to drop it here because this is where me and my wife are. <laughs> yeah, James Raymer. <laughs> yeah. And it was and it was it was designed that that moment was designed to show you how flippant the nature was of doing something that was going to literally cost hundreds of thousands of people their lives and to show the callousness yeah. of that decision making. It didn't feel unrealistic I, I don't know if that was actually really said i don't know the accuracy of it but it did not feel impossible that that could have been said in that moment in that way and i just thought that was a, a great scene did you want to uh, say something phone, about that one okay all right um the next thing that i would say i love the scene um I love the, the, the back and forth between the interrogation scenes, interview interrogation, both of Oppenheimer and of Robert Downey Jr.'s character. By the way, Robert Downey Jr., amazing job in this. If the last thing you saw him in or as was Iron Man, Tony Stark, he, like, a, like a truly great actor, he becomes a completely different person in this movie. He's just fantastic. Every scene with him, was was electric. If you can be interesting and all you're doing is talking without something blowing up or flying and being in a metal suit, metal suit, <laughs> you know that you're good at your craft. He was amazing, you know. So I, I all props to that. I really loved that part too. Um, I'm also going to say that there's uh there there was one of the best scenes when we talked about you know we were talking about the production mm-hmm. notes is the scene where he is asked, where Oppenheimer is asked to talk about the last time he saw a woman he was involved mm. with, right? And it's the woman is, um, she was in the, the Communist Party. And this is during a time in the film where they're trying to basically discredit Oppenheimer and discredit his attempt to maintain a security clearance because, you know, the administration, was, he's fallen out of favor with the administration. And in the scene, Oppenheimer, who in the movie is called a womanizer, he has to recount when he went and saw this woman and essentially was intimate with her. I'm I'm keeping it 
PG because this is a family family program, yes, right? Yes. And so it's so it's such a crazy scene because you know, like the, like obviously the men who are interrogating him in that scene, they are trying to discredit him. And it's it's like I kept thinking, like, man, on some on some man code stuff, they could have just said to him, "Hey, man, <laughs> we're about to ask you something way out there right now." You might not want to have your wife sitting in here when we ask you these questions because we already know the answers. We already know that mm-hmm. you did it, that you stepped out on this situation. We don't know if you want her to know, but we know that that's not going to be good for you, right? Either right now or on the way home in the car. That would have been, that would, it would have been good if they would have given that shout out. They didn't. And then the scene that happens as he's telling it, and it, I can only describe it, but him going from sitting there in the office, sitting there in the office having the conversation. And then it's like the scene then shows him naked. Then the scene demonstrates him being in the act with the woman and his wife is watching the whole time. In the movie theater, it was so quiet. It was like, <laughs> it was like a horrible scene that just, everybody that was kind of laughing and joking, guys in there, you know, with their wives and girlfriends, it was silent. Like no one said anything. Because of how powerful that scene was, amazingly shot. I, I've seen, uh, you know, if you've seen any you know movies where any kind of infidelity situation happens, there's a lot of ways it's portrayed. That was probably the most effective way of demonstrating that kind of betrayal. It was amazing. It was an amazing scene, and it's great. Just I, I just thought it was really well. I want to piggyback off. Um, I want to piggyback off of that just for a second. Okay, good, good, good. I got a couple. Yeah, I no, think one got, of the key things uh, that uh, that scene also highlighted was that in the pre-production and then even in some of the interviews that um, Christopher Nolan has given, they discussed whether or not it was gratuitous um, if on if there was unnecessary yeah. placement. And he pointed out that one, there was a scene that they did take out. Um, but the other uh, intimate scenes that they do keep in the uh, scenes, I mean, excuse me, that they do keep in the movie, um, they're necessary for the plot. And they're necessary um, to uh, have the audience engaged, invested, uh, committed to this mm-hmm. level of intimacy that they're seeing um, between these two people. How does, it, how does it develop? Why does it develop the way that it does? Um, why these two particular people and not, say, some other person or different characters? Um, so I think the reason why uh, a lot of those gentlemen were in the theater are silent um, uh, I think it has to do with, it touched home. It struck a nerve and that was intentional. It was deliberate. It's, it's also a scene that you're definitely not expecting yes. to see in a yeah. movie about a yeah. scientist building a, building a bomb. Like that's the other thing too, is that where this movie, there, there are things about this movie that are mm-hmm. funny. There are things about this movie that are dramatic. Yeah. There are things about this movie that have like an action component. The score is, is, always making everything that's done seem more energetically done than it yes. actually is. So even the music, when he's like just writing on a chalkboard, it sounds, the score sounds like, you know, Batman driving <laughs> through a city. Like that's how, that's how hyped up the score is, but it works, right? Last thing I'm going to say in my favorite scenes, and it, you know, as you probably can already tell, I really, really like this movie. Um, and there are scenes very early on, which I thought had great foreshadowing is the scene where he gets into it with his professor and he starts to try to poison the professor 
by taking apple and he puts something in it and he leaves it there for the professor to eat. And the next morning he wakes up and thinks about what he's done and he runs back and essentially tries to, essentially he gets rid of the apple before anyone takes it, anyone eats the food, right? I thought that that was so reflective of and foreshadowing of his creation of the bomb. And then in the way that in the end of the movie, he almost becomes, um, he becomes somebody who's like not an advocate for the use mm-hmm. of atomic weapons. But he created it the same way in the beginning. He set out to do this thing to do extreme harm, but then he decides to switch it up and says, no, I don't think that was the right thing for me to do. So I just thought that was great foreshadowing in that movie and in, that, in, in the movie, in that scene. And I thought it comes back up at the end. So that, that's the case. Those are the parts that I really like. Um, I do want to piggyback off of some of the things that you referenced because, uh, man, you have uh, really shined the light on some key phrases and some key phases within that movie. Um, the first thing that definitely comes to mind is the creation of... And, for me personally, I don't think, well, you already know how I feel outside of the movie uh, with respect to some one person getting credit all the time, a la Tom Brady being this so-called goat uh, <laughs> and getting credit for all the wins. And I'm not saying... Come on, leave Tommy alone, man. Tommy, I, come on, man. But Tommy's I will say goat, this. <laughs> I don't even like Tommy, but oh, Tommy's man. a goat, man. You, gotta, you, you just, you can't. Okay, that's not that's not the point. I use that I use that uh, uh, comparison to say this. Oppenheimer is a man who's torn apart, and the movie opens with him uh, expressing his desire to go home. He says, "I'm homesick." Numerous times throughout the movie, and the words don't do it justice. So Nolan does a great job of showing this this frail. Uh, brittle, uh, vulnerable, uh, timid individual who is curled up in his pillow and his blanket, uh, a la, and the first thing I'm thinking of is uh, those stories where it's like, leave the light on, don't close the door, check underneath my bed, can you open up the closet? Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. I remember being a kid and thinking, man, if I keep the blanket over my head and the pillows over my head, the boogeyman won't get me. Because that's somehow magical armor. Um, so you get this vision of this 19, 20, 21, 22 year old impressionable individual who's overseas in England studying abroad. Um, and the crazy thing is, during that specific era, individuals were getting married earlier, they were having careers earlier, going off to war. So you would think that he was of a more mature stage in his life, but quite frankly, he was still that 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 child um and then the contrast of the thunder and the rain and him looking outside the window and he's not seeing thunder and rain he's seeing atoms breaking he's seeing protons and neutrons and stars exploding and expanding i think that that contrast where something powerful which kind of like imposes its will upon you and stresses just how insignificant you are and how un uh daunting you must be if you're going to continue on this path. Um, and it flashes to him breaking the uh, beaters in the uh, in the lab. Uh, and then the professor says mm-hmm. to him, uh, what's going on with you, essentially? And he says, well, you know, um, you know, I'm not really good at this. I have another appointment. I want to go see. And I forget if it was uh, 
uh, born at the time that he wanted to see. And they were like, oh, yeah, we got to get out of here. Except you. <laughs> you got to stay here. Yeah, you got to stay and clean up this mess. I, I think just pointing out that scene in comparison to where you're talking about, you know, his his various stages and being conscientious of one minute, his political views were, you know, left-leaning uh, to those who were anti-communists, uh, which is so ironic because today we're having that same debate, except we just give it a different title and a different spin. Um, and I think you touched upon that thoroughly and in-depthly, but I wanted to highlight that once more to drill home the point that the more things change, the more they stay the same. Um, so that theme of uh you know being able to bear witness to the so-called father of the atomic bomb even though it was a team effort and it gives you the actual historical background upon certain things that are true such as the apple scene it is true however it's with a caveat they don't know exactly what poison it was and he almost got kicked out of school for it so this so-called man yeah, well, you said he had to go see a therapist. Exactly. As a result of it. And that's the other thing, too, that you touched upon with respect to the uh, more uh, R-rated scenes where uh, the lady that he was dealing with, um, that was like his girlfriend at the time. And she seemed so unstable or as what we would call now in dire need of mental health. And quite frankly, she went to medicine school and she was a psychiatrist. Jean Latlock was a psychiatrist. She was a physician. She could administer medication Ooh. and she was in dire need of it. Or at least someone else to talk to. Yeah. And it's Yeah, there's some there's some irony, some definite irony in that in that too. I mean there's it, it, so many, so many things, right? And I, no, I don't no, mean no, no, no. to just I just want to interject and just add add this one one thing that you mentioned. Even the way that he is portrayed, you mentioned it, you know, as this frail sort of um, slight man, right? But in the scenes where they show him in New Mexico, when he's riding the horse, you know, when he's out there with his brother or his friend or later on the woman that becomes his wife, he looks yes. like a different person, right? His clothes are different. He kind of seems a little bulkier. He seems more alive. He doesn't have the hat on. It's like he's a completely yes. different person in that particular environment, Right. And I think even that is powerful in and of itself because what they're really showing you is the dimensions of a man, right? Dimensions of a man, dimensions of a person that you're different ways in different mm -hmm. environments, right? You carry yourself differently. You conduct yourself differently. He never in the whole movie, he never looks more comfortable than as he does riding a horse in New Mexico, right? Even though that's the least thing oh, yeah, that, he's, that he's famous for. Well, that's another, uh, another intriguing, uh, uh, topic that I wanted to cover too. The fact that there are so many surprises throughout this movie. Um, so whether it be him on horseback out in the wild, wild west and uh, dealing with uh, expansion and, and uh, uh, you know, exploring all of his manifest destiny driven idealism, rugged uh, manhood all in full display. Uh, still at heart he's a scientist and oftentimes he has to be reminded it's like people want to keep him in his place i i forget it's like a a, a rap song that uh can't think of the title but i i believe it's either uh yeah it's little brother and i think it's like their second or third album and fonte raps something to the effect of you know i tried to do it for this this group 
and it wasn't working out. And then I tried to do it for another group and then another diagram, uh, uh, demographic. And I tried to do it for this specific population and none of it worked out. And he concludes by saying, everybody wants to keep you to themselves in this tiny little box. And that's the first thing I thought of when I saw him is that, um, if he didn't fit their criteria, they didn't want to have anything to do with him. And one of his colleagues even tells him, Hey, you know, they need us now. But what happens when they don't need us anymore? So oh, that was yeah. a surprise yep. that even even um even uh what's his name? Yes. Um, Einstein yes. tells me the same thing. That 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 awareness that these individuals who were supposedly uh aloof and and totally into their whole world. I mean, how many times did they say that he was basically a demigod, that he was a prophet, and that the prophet could never be wrong, and that these individual men they could mm-hmm. be wrong as much as they want. But if he's wrong one time off with his head i thought those surprises yeah. like that were were definitely pivotal scene moving change earth breaking type of things that helped to move and push the narrative along um yeah absolutely i, mean, I don't know oh, I'm sorry. uh uh if you if you wanted to add in definitely please do well i mean i just think even even the way that you know, I think I think when the, the characters of the Robert Downey Jr. and Matt Damon play as being close to the yes. scientists, but not being scientists themselves, right? They are afforded the ability to critique the scientific yeah. community, right? And they do so in a way that I think they almost they almost um, speak for maybe the way the audience mm-hmm. kind of sees it. As like, oh, these people, you know, because they're so smart and because they think about the world in a completely different way, they believe that they are better yes. somehow, right? And uh, you know, Robert Downey Jr.'s character kind of says that that these are char- these are the scientists. These people they think that they're right, right all the time, and what they hate is for someone to tell them what they can't do, especially when it's not someone mm-hmm. from their community, right? And even Matt Damon does that, and you see his frustration in one scene. He's trying to get a scientist to join the team on the Manhattan Project. And he's like, you should want to do this because this is the most important thing that has ever happened in the history of the world. That should be your reason. And you're talking about, you know, being away from your family, away from your job for three months, right? Or three years. And I just think that that's like a really good juxtaposition that allows the non-science person to try to imagine how they would see themselves operating with scientific right. people in this kind of world. Because the conversation between the science people is all very high level, right? And it would have been easy to write this movie in a way that no one Definitely. understood what was happening. They could have talked about protons and neutrons and splitting the atom and all those things. They could have talked above your head. But by not doing that and by having characters in it that have prominent roles that were not scientists, it keeps the conversation at a level where you can still yeah. follow it as the layperson. Yeah, watching. That, that's key too. And, and, and going back to that scene where Matt Damon voices his frustration, um, we must remember when Oppenheimer and Groves are filling each other out, uh, Oppenheimer says to him, Hey, don't kid me with that soldier boy, left, right, left, left, right, left stuff. You went to MIT, you graduated top of your class uh, you're you're an engineer by trade, so don't don't kid yourself. I see you for what you are, and that 
that that that back and forth, uh, if you will, that set the table where I was like, oh, okay, I, I feel the gravitas in the room. These guys aren't overacting. They're just pushing each other to be better, to bring out the best in each other. You almost feel that they are these characters uh, because they identify or at least give yeah. you the presence that they identify with them so well. Um, I think um, to finish with my overall arcing theme of surprises is the fact that there's this presence of strong, independent-minded, educated women, females in these critical scenes. Uh, the one scene where he's, uh, he says, wait, what is going And I'm paraphrasing, mind you. Hey, what's going on here? You got your wife as your secretary? Like, where's the clearance? We're trying to keep everything in house. You know, the, uh, we've got to make sure that there's no leaks, no spies, et cetera, et cetera. And um, fast forward, if you will. And one of the ladies says, oh, they didn't teach typing when I was graduating from my physicist uh, doctorate program. So yeah. you'll have to forgive me. I think it's I think it's so like, see, this is this will be a, a reoccurring theme in most of the movies that CJ and I are going to do for the audience. Um, I guess you could say I'm breaking the fourth wall right now is um, we're going to continually talk about uh, specific themes that are reoccurring. Um, and one of them being is the presence of a female in a strong role and a strong lead who is relatable and not forced upon us to fit some type of uh, agenda based driven plot. Um, it has to be more organic. And I think that deals with anyone and everyone. Uh, it doesn't matter what boxes they check off. It's just as long as they're there, they're relatable, that they are human, that they are uh, impressionable, vulnerable, that they run the full gauntlet of human emotions. And I think that's the case with these women in these in these particular roles. I mean, uh, Florence Pug, for those who only know her as uh, uh, the new Black Widow, uh, she is uh, definitely on. Uh, she's on a hundred in this with her portrayal of Jean. Yeah, Tadlock. she's great. She's great yeah. in this movie. Yeah, she really she uh, she, she brings out the best in him in Cillian Murphy um, in all the scenes they they're with how she's starstruck when she first is introduced to him. But yeah, she stands her ground. She's not some love-struck puppy dog waggling her tail, waiting for Master to come home. She outright tells him, hey, no flowers. Uh, but yeah, she's, <laughs> but she's vulnerable <laughs> right, enough yeah, to be time. like, hey, you know, you said that you'd always be there. You said you'd always answer. I, what happens when I need you? You can't just go away and expect things to be right back where they were. I think that vulnerability is relatable when you're in any type of relationship. Forget it be romantic. It could just be, uh, you know, uh, a work colleague can't just turn and turn me off and turn me on like a like a like a program, like a like an automaton. She yeah, she's um, yeah, I mean, you, you hit on it. She's she's great. In this world. It, it's so it's I mean. I hate to say this because I feel like it's an easy it's an easy rock to throw at a film, right? But there's a lot of critique of the quality of like superhero yeah. movies, yeah, right. And I couldn't just I couldn't help but just watch a movie like this, seeing two people that are prominent in the sort of superhero movie realm, like Robert Downey Jr. and uh, Florence Pugh. Yeah, that, yep. that's it correctly. Right, so they're in this movie. You know, you see them in these movies, 
you, they're entertaining, but you never really see the depth of what right. they can really do. And then you see them in a movie like this, and you're like, yeah. wow, they could have gotten so much more yeah. out of these mm-hmm. characters. And I think, and to the to the credit, I think like like you know Disney slash Marvel got all they could out of Robert Downey yeah. I'm excited to see what they can do um, with Miss Pugh because they she's got right, a lot definitely. of room, and and she really showed her yeah. acting ability in this. And and you're right. I mean, like there's there's a this movie smashes some of the nineteen early nineteen hundred kind of ideas of um you know if you grew up watching like you know the ward cleaver be you know leave it to beaver kind of showed ideas of what you know middle america was like this these characters in this movie look like that but they're dealing with some way outside the lines issues Mm -hmm. right like his like Oppenheimer, the woman he finally ends up marrying, like she's out there. (laughs) She's on a whole different program. I mean, one of the coldest scenes is when he comes home after finding out he's on the Manhattan Project and she's in the kitchen or she's in the dining room, the baby is crying. He's like, aren't you going to go to him? And she's like, I've been going to him all day. Like, no, like I'm not doing that. Like, I'm here for this booze and the fun like this. I didn't sign up for this, right? And to the point where he has to take the, his child to be in the in the in the taken care of by his mm-hmm. friend, right? Like, or he like I mean like there's a scene later on where it's like he first takes his wife to the the city that the town that they built to do the the, the building of the bomb. You know, she's in there and she walks in the house and the first thing she says is, well, there's no, uh, there's no kitchen. <laughs> and I, every time when I, when, I was thought, when I thought about it, when I saw the scene, I, I was thinking like, he, he had the house built, right? So maybe he was like, you don't cook anyway. So we don't even need a kitchen. When she said it, he was like, okay, well, we'll build one. But it was just so crazy. Now, with all that said, with all the stuff she does in that movie... She definitely has his back mm. 100%, right? And in the end, she's yeah. still with him. Even after everything that happens, the way the government tries to destroy his reputation, finding out that he had an affair, everything that this guy does, she's still with him in the end, right? So she rides with him till death does till death does impart in real life, right? That's how it goes. But it's like, man, she's not, she's like... When you're watching it in the beginning, like, man, I don't think she's going to make it, man. Like, at one point, she even says, like, when the, the, about the baby, she's like, the yeah. rat's down <laughs> with the martinis, right? Like, I'm like, man, this is not, like, leave it to beaver. This doesn't look like the way This doesn't look like what I grew up with. Like, what's happening here? I, so, think, yeah. I think, but see, I think that's so interesting and, and beneficial. And I say that because, one... It does break down these barriers, these these false perceptions, this this uh, uh, unrealistic expectation that women can only be like this, um, and that we shouldn't expect them to deviate from anything else. I think this is a real eye opener for those that uh, uh, definitely need it. Um, they're in Los Alamos, and literally. On that specific team, I had envisioned before I ever cracked open a book or even knew how to read. Whenever I heard atom bomb as a child, I'm thinking, all right, it's a bunch of uh, older white men who gather in a room 
and you know they all do mathematics and they they're engineers and i didn't even know the word engineer but i thought they built whatever it was and that they knew all the calculations and you know they did their thing and they and they left no you're literally talking about a, a group of scientists hence i don't know how one man can get credit for everything when there were four teams but nonetheless um mm -hmm. and he was theoretical he wasn't even the one doing the actual calculations or building the yeah, or, or the person actual, building yeah, the actual no, bomb casing thing right yeah absolutely and, sure. uh, I think the fact that you have these 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 independent minds coming together, not even it's like not even a thing. Like, oh, you mean he's from you know East Jabib and that's a she and like none of that even married mattered. You know, like they all came together, and I think it's even funny how when they interview him later on, um, I can't even say interview. That's not even correct. Um, when they uh, basically. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, when they fired in front of his wife and his friends, it's that, crazy yeah. because it, it's not even a, a a formal court hearing, if you will. Like this is literally mm -hmm. just a uh, off the books proceeding, and they say to him, you know, look, uh, here are the standards that we're going to go by now, and they present it to General Leslie Groves, and they present it to Oppenheimer and everybody and his attorney, and they're reading it. And they say to him, by the standard that we now have, would he have been able to meet the criteria and been on the team? And but if you flash, yeah, to get right, the security, security clearance, yeah, right. and then when you flash right. back, mm -hmm. uh, General Grove says one of the greatest and best decisions I made was making you the head of the entire program. But then in that meeting, he says no, and then they cut it off. But then great cinematography great direction comes right back and he says but then again i wouldn't have had any of them on this project and um you know that's not to to place any type of uh negativity on his name rather that's just to say under these strict guidelines that wouldn't have been permissible and that actually all of right. these individuals are very loyal to the united states so it's not a question of uh, uh whether or not they were traitors and and acting in a seditious way uh, in fact the one person that they did find out later to be the traitor oppenheimer never had him on the team like he didn't seek him out he didn't grant any clearances he should have been vented at the same way excuse me vetted the same way that they went through the whole vetted. process with him um so i think these surprises and that theme of you never know what's going to happen it's not necessarily someone getting murdered uh in the uh library with the with the mallet by mr purple uh for all my clue friends um <laughs> it's just a question of like oh i didn't see that coming because i had this preconceived notion that these are the ways that are supposed to be i mean especially with this so-called greatest generation um they didn't seem so great to me um you know in fact i think they're more uh popular moniker should have been the silent generation because they just went along to get along and didn't want to rock the boat and kept quiet mm -hmm. and i don't i don't necessarily know about the greatness that they that they're spewing from i think all most of the problems we have now yeah. are because uh, of that generation yeah i want to go back when, when you said about the how you have like a great story great drama without you know a murder in the library or something like that that's a credit to the storytelling it's just great storytelling right and 
I think we've I think we've talked enough about the cake. Oh, yeah. I think we've had, we've, had, we've talked about everything that we really liked about it. When we talk about the hate part, I'm gonna be honest with you, man. There's very little that I have. Um, the only thing I will say, and I've, I've noticed this in some of the other movies that I've seen, Christopher Nolan movies. Sometimes there's a weird thing happens with the mm. sound where the background music is either so loud or the what's happening in the in the background right. is so loud that it kind of disrupts what you're able to hear. That's my only knock with this movie. I noticed it in Tenet too when I saw it. Tenet was like yeah. that. Um, and also, and, and I don't know if this is something I, I hate necessarily, but it is something that I've noticed. Christopher Nolan movies almost require that you watch them two yeah. or three times to me to really get them. You know, um, it's definitely like that with this. I think this is a, a watch once or two, at least two or three times. Tenet is definitely like that. Obviously, Inception is like that. You know, the Batman movies, you probably want to do that. Memento, I think I had to watch Memento 10 times. Just to, at some point, you're trying to watch that one just to see if it really adds up correctly, like based on how it's kind of shot and, and directed. But I, I just noticed that about the movies as well. I don't know if that's just a ploy to get people to come back and watch them again, but the, the movie is edited so quickly that it makes you, it's like, you're kind of like, wait, what's going on? Who's that character? What are they talking about? It just drops you right in. And it so I don't really have questions about this movie because obviously this is somebody's life, right? So I'm not going to question why someone lived their life the way that they did. But I do have like some some meta movie questions that I want to okay. just ask about this. And you know, this is a this is a Christopher Nolan movie. Christopher Nolan has made a lot of really good movies over yeah. the years. Um, I'm curious to know. I love I love ratings. You know, I love rating things, right? Mm. And I love trying to order things in the rating. <laughs> so my question for you is: What would you rate as your top three Christopher Nolan movies? From three to one. All right. Wow. This is going to be tough. Because like CJ said, uh, it's, a, it's a good amount to pull from. And for those that don't know, um, Christopher Nolan has directed the Batman trilogy. Uh, he's directed Memento. He's directed The Prestige, uh, Tenant, oh, Inception, Inception, Dunkirk, Interstellar. And then a bunch of short stories that people probably haven't heard of unless like you're really into movies. Uh, did a documentary about uh, these two brothers, uh, Quay, um, did uh, a couple of short films while he was in college, ranging from like 89 to 97, what or what they call university. Um, so intermediate school, high school, and college, that is, because obviously he didn't go to college from 89 to 97. Um, so with that being said, uh, let me see. Who am I running with? Three to one. So you're giving me like number three is this, number yeah. two is this, number one is this. Okay. No pressure. All right. I, I think I got, I, got <laughs> but, my, I got my order. I got my order. But it's pressure. My... Okay. All right, let's hear it. Uh, this may be a surprise for some, but number three is The Prestige. Okay. Um, number two, I'm going with Memento. Mm, great movie. 
And number one, I'm rocking with Inception. Wow. Okay. Yeah. No yeah. love. No love for the Dark Knight, huh? Nah. And I know it's a surprise. <laughs> I know it's a surprise to people. No but, love um, for the Dark Knight. Yeah. Okay. Nah. I'm, All I'm, right. I think those movies trump his trilogy. Yeah. And the and Oppenheimer. I do. Okay. Yeah, I mean, yeah, to be fair, it would be hard for me not to have Oppenheimer probably somewhere around the top five. Um, I, I, okay, so my, my number three, to be fair to the question, my yeah. number three is... <sighs> See? It's, it's, it's hard, but I'm saying, okay, my number three, <laughs> I will take Prestige. Okay. Prestige. Um, my number two two i'm going to take the dark knight mm. which dark knight rises no the dark knight the, the second dark one knight. Yeah. Okay. which which i think is is probably the maybe the best comic book movie of all time I've, I've, we've had this conversation yeah. before it's like yeah. best comic book movie of all time yeah. the dark knight we we don't we can debate we can debate that one a little bit later <laughs> um Number one, I would say is Tenet. Mm. I really, really I like. I you Tenet. like that. I did. Yeah, I do. And I, I watched that movie like seven or eight times. Get out of it. Because I I liked it, and I also thought it was really difficult to understand. Mm. And my understanding of it in the end made me really just love what what the movie was about. So okay. those are my three prestige. Dark Knight, Tenant. Obviously, if you threw if you threw Inception in there, yeah. I understand. If you threw Memento, and Memento is awesome. You threw Memento in there, I understand. I think Oppenheimer is definitely in that top five too. But this is a question. I mean, like they, I think, I think without question, you can say that Christopher Nolan movies are at a stage now where when they come out, you go see them because he's directing. Well, that's my question for you then. Do you think that he is the greatest living or 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 a deceased transition uh director of all time you know it's hard for me to give him the goat like the goat thing man i know i know like we love to debate goats man i know <laughs> <laughs> we, we love the goat debate you know goat boxer goat nba basketball uh -huh. player goat quarterback i know we love that part you know greatest rapper of all time we love it mm -hmm. i would say that i don't know if he's the greatest of all time because I think I think you know Martin Scorsese has something to say there, mm -hmm. um, but I will say that he's probably the goat for the time for this time. I think in this moment, in this time, this yeah. guys, he has demonstrated an ability to make a lot of different kinds of movies. Okay, at an amazing level, whether they're really grounded kind of stories like a Dunkirk or like an Oppenheimer, mm. whether they're fantastical science fiction stories like an Interstellar, That's whether they bag. are like thought provoking psychological dramas like a Tenet or, mm. or Inception, or just a really interesting story like that almost has like an indie feel kind of movie to it, like Memento. He's yeah. done all of them. He's done every kind of movie yeah. and done it at a high level. So I think for now, 
you know, if he wants to have the title belt, he could wear the title belt. He can wear the, the take. He can wear the turnover chain from the University of Miami because he's got it right. I don't know if he's the greatest of all time. I would have to think about that and more, but I'd say he's the greatest of this time. Uh, um, it doesn't I, have the same ring to it, but that's what I got there. No, now I like it. that you you asked the question about you know the greatest of all time. Those kind of questions about movies. Um, so when I went to go see this, right, and this is a this is a just a funny question I was thinking about, but you know I was driving to the movies. Like I said, it's ten o'clock at night. I'm going to see Oppenheimer. I know I got a three hour movie ahead yeah. of me. I wanted to make sure I was like hyped when I got there, right? Okay. So I'm in the car listening to stuff that you know I normally can't listen to when my daughter's <laughs> in the car because I don't want her listening to that. Right, right. But um, I was listening to the Pusha T, Rick Ross, Hard Piano, <laughs> right? And I just love the production on that song. The rapping is, you know, it's all right. It's good. But, you know, that's not really, it's just the whole thing put together yeah. is amazing to me. So I was in the movie and I was thinking like, man, I wonder if there was a part where they could have played this song, right? <laughs> played this music because, you know, it's kind of got, it's just got a vibe to it that goes along with it. And I'm going to say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you what you think, but I have a scene in my head where they could have played it. I got two. I want seasons. you to just remember. I just want to remember the instrumental. Like, not they don't have to play the words because there's yeah. no scene in this that would look right with Rick Ross rapping in the background, right? <laughs> That's not going to fit. I know that. But what I also <laughs> think is that the music itself might fit in a place. Yeah. So I think the scene where um, Robert Downey Jr. is trying to talk to to, to Einstein, and Einstein walks past him. Yeah. If they would have played that music then. <laughs> As Einstein was walking back to the house, if they would have played the hard piano instrumental, then it would have been perfect. <laughs> perfect. The perfect place for it to be in that movie was, That's was there. That's tough, yo. So I got I got I got that. And if I had to think of one more, it might be like the scene when he's out there before the woman becomes his wife and they're riding the horses. They could have mm -hmm. played it. In there, when they're riding the horses, they could have played hard piano then. But what, what you got from me? Oh, man. I, I, I'm picturing something totally different. I'm thinking when he's in his bag and he's on some, like, it's my world and you're just a squirrel trying to get a nut. And uh, they're in the, in, like, the, basically the interrogation scene. He's like, yeah, I can't call Gene. He's like, nah. I mean, uh, excuse me. I'm, I'm going to call Kitty. And he's like, nah, you can't. Um, he's like, no, no, no. Opposite way around. The attorney's like, yeah, hey, I can't call Kitty. And he's like, yeah, you can. We've been through the fire. As soon as he says that, like he gives a that's whole speech. That's when the beat could have dropped. But that's, <laughs> that's when the beat could have dropped. Because he's like, he's sitting there, he's like, nah, she got me. And boom, the beat hits. And then all of a sudden, you know, it, it could crescendo to the point where the after the alcohol, her little, her little flash drops, all that. The beat's still playing, but it's slowly and quietly building up to where she says, I just don't like the way that you phrased it. And then all of a sudden you see the old man in the cut grinning and he's like, oh, <laughs> that's what I know. Came in. Yeah, that's Got what it. I know. Got that's it. Yeah. Know. So the lesson, so the lesson for the listeners is there's always a part in a movie where you can slide a, a, <laughs> a, a great hip hop beat. There's, no matter oh, no what question. the movie is, nah. it's always a movie where you can slide a good beat in. So that's oh, what yeah. that is. All right. So let's get let's get into the ratings. Um, you know, we do the rating system on boxes of popcorn because this is yes, sticky floors. Nothing sticks to a floor better than old popcorn. Mm -hmm. So uh, so yeah. So let's let's talk about the ratings. As you know, uh, one box of popcorn is like 
this movie is not that good. Mm-hmm. One day, I'm sure there will be something that one of us will give a one box of popcorn to. Oh, no that doesn't mean it's not worth talking about because sometimes mm-hmm. a movie might not be good, but you still like it anyway. Yep. But that's the one box. Um, two boxes of popcorn is like a movie that's just it. You watched it, but you know, you might not be happy that you did. Mm. Um, three boxes is like a movie that was good. You saw it. It's almost like it was missing something. Maybe it need a little bit more flavor, a little bit more taste, maybe some different <laughs> acting. Um, but that's where it is. Four boxes is um, this is a good movie. It's a solid. You go see it. You recommend it to people. Five boxes is like I said, it's like delicious and nutritious popcorn. I don't know if it's such a thing, but that's what it is. And that's a movie where when you see it, when somebody says they haven't seen it, you're like, yeah. I haven't seen that movie like mm-hmm. that. It's like that. It's like one of those kind of things. Um, I will go first on the ratings for this movie. To no surprise, this is a five box popcorn movie for me, man. Mm. This is five boxes of popcorn. I think this movie is fantastic and. You know, sometimes I'll watch the Academy Awards and I'll see the movies on there and I'll be like, I've never heard of this movie. Yeah. Is this movie that yeah. good. A year from now, whatever, whenever they do the show, when this movie is nominated, I'll be like, mm. yeah, that whatever they put, it deserves it because that yeah. was amazing. So that's this gets five boxes from me. What you got? Yeah, same here, man. Same here. Um, like I said, I was looking for something to hate. I no, you. I told you from the rip. I didn't. I had no intention of going to see this movie at all. I was totally turned off. And to my surprise, CJ hit me up and he was like, yo, it's like that. You need to go. And this is, again, as he stated, this was him during the movie saying this. Like, yeah, you need to go and it needs to be in the theaters, not at home. And I concur. I think you are. I think you're doing yourself a disservice if you don't see this movie in the theaters to get the full effect of the sound the screen quality i don't care what type of home system you have if you don't have your own movie theater and i don't mean like a miniature version i mean like if you don't have your own theater yeah it's not gonna cut it yeah this yeah i agree this is a this was this is a great movie experience like i i would even at it being three hours long i would go see this again i might go see this again i might just go see it again that's how much i really liked it so uh, you know, we're three episodes in and we have a we finally have agreement. We have consensus. Yes, sir. On the movie. Usually I'm a little lower. You're a little higher. <laughs> this time we got consensus, which is amazing. It took us took us three episodes to get to interrelated, interrelated reliability. Now I we did. got it right. So now we'll see what happens with the next one we do. But, so um, but yeah, so so that's good there. And uh, all right. So let's close it out with our conclusions, uh, conclusion statements. This is where. You know, Will and I talk a little bit about what do we think is the underlying message theme mm. of the movie. Um, I'll, I'll just start first and, and I'll say um, there's something there's a, there's a hermetic law that uh, is that goes as above, so below. Right. And basically it's about the idea that whatever is manifested or real in the spiritual world reflects itself in the real world, the physical world, right? And, I, and I, I'm probably misusing the real versus yeah. unreal in that sense. But the point here is that I think this movie is consistently showing you the differences between what you think something is like 
and what you real what it really is. And mm. it does that by constantly showing you Oppenheimer's perspective on reality. Because earlier on in the movie, he says that he has visions of other worlds, mm. right? And he's tapping into a different form of consciousness, a different form of reality that is actually informing the reality that he's living in. The scene where he meets the woman, he's talking to the woman that eventually becomes his wife. He talks about how the only reason why solid matter exists is because of the attractive forces between mm. particles that makes them want to stay together enough so that things, solid objects don't pass through each other, right? What he's talking about is the real world of how things are working and then what we experience as the reflection of that. His life as demonstrated in this movie is a reflection, the, 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 what happens to him is a reflection of his own state of consciousness, right? That is true for all of us. Our perception of reality is informed by our own thinking. If you think the situation is terrible, it is terrible. If you think the situation has no bearing whatsoever, it has no bearing whatsoever. It's the reason why no matter, like you can have two people watch the same event happen, the same calamity in the world. One person is severely impacted by it. The other person isn't affected at all. It's because of the quality of their thinking. What informs our real world has little to do with what is tangible or perceivable through our five senses. In this movie, Oppenheimer's life is being impacted by his perception of the reality around him. He imagines the world as chaotic, so it is. He tries to force understanding and sensibility into it, and he does that in his process of trying to build a, a, a study class around, phys around physics. He does that around trying to build a family but then he blows all that stuff up, right? And he rebuilds it again because that's the quality of what is happening inside his own mind, inside his own, what some people would call his spirit, is going yeah. through that same um, chaos and reorder process, and his life is doing that as well. There's a deep lesson in that for all of us because we're all constantly experiencing a buildup and destruction of our reality based on our own thinking, based on our own words, based on things that are not tangible, but are having a severe impact on the tangible reality that we're living in. Mm -hmm. The final lesson being, be careful of your thoughts, be careful of your words, be careful of all those things that are not tangible because they are having a real effect on the world around you. And the unseen things are sometimes the things that are having the most prominent impact. So I think that's what's the underlying thing running under this, this uh, movie. And it's one of the things that really makes me even like it more when mm. I see it and interpret it in that way. So what you got for us, my man? Man, this guy over here, man, I'll tell you, he always like, First pitch, first swing, home run every single time. Three for three. So, uh, oh, and, and ladies and gents, please, it's not a competition either. It's uh, not. It's I'm not. just merely trying it's to. It's a partnership. 
Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just merely trying to uh, hold up my end of uh, CJ's Peloton. Um, and I'm struggling. <laughs> so uh, that's the inside joke. Uh, but uh, man, there are so many themes that uh, as uh, we were going through pre-production today, and I had so many notes on this. Um, man anything from martyrdom where uh harkens back to the scene where his wife is saying to him don't let them crucify you why don't you just fight back and she would say this numerous times and she would always say to him hey it's strauss it's so apparent why don't you see this and you got a a room full of educated men sitting there like nah it couldn't be it's got to be such and such and she just cuts through it all with her candor uh with her bluntness being very direct and I could go in that direction. Or I could even talk about, uh, which is a perfect segue, of the aloofness versus brilliance, where here's this guy who's so intelligent. I mean, he's coming up with theoretical physicists um, and, and basically paving a new uh, uh, field at a, at a school like Berkeley in the United States. And he's the only one doing it. And he started off with one student. And then all of a sudden... Uh, he has countless others and, you know, he's basically leading a, 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 a revolution. Um, so how could he not be aware of that? There's all these, uh, uh, workings against him, all these individuals looking to bring him down, or I could talk about, um, the contradictions and the irony, which is a part of life. Uh, you know, here we have this guy who's building a bomb that is designed to do one thing kill people blow up destroy and you know he's being mocked by president truman as being a pansy or a patsy or <laughs> I've, uh, he uses yeah. stronger words but um the point is is that he's saying he's saying in this meeting um you know look no one remembers the guy who designed the weapon they remember the guy who actually used the weapon so mm-hmm. don't come to me with this foolishness. And I think that that capsulizes this this chase for brilliance, for greatness, for uh, uh, a living, living uh, legend, uh, leaving behind a legacy. Uh, Robert Downey Jr.'s uh, character, Strauss, Louis Strauss talks about, um, you know, he did him a favor by crucifying him and allowing him to carry that cross because he was so caught up in the fact that he killed all these people. Well, now I'm giving him the opportunity to take his shellacking and, uh, you know, have them remember him for this versus actually killing all those people. When, in fact, uh, CJ talks about the scene where uh, Einstein walks right by uh, Strauss at print on the campus of Princeton. And when you get more uh, uh, in depth into the conversation as far as what really transpired, you learn they weren't even talking about this dude and his aide. uh, um. uh, I can't think of the actor's name right now. I think his last name is uh, Aaron Kirch or Aaron Stein. Um, Jack, what's this dude's name? We know. Aiden I mean, Aramich. Wow. And he says job. to him, that's uh, well, that's because um, he was in, um, he was Han Solo and he's in Cocaine Bear. Um, so he says to him, you know, look, maybe, just maybe there's something more important than you that they were discussing. And it's the mm. perfect segue. So I could talk about all those things, but I think that the uh, main theme for me is transformation. 
um, and this is embodied in the uh, symbol of the phoenix. Um, now, if anybody knows the story of the phoenix, and shout out to all my comic book uh, aficionados and cartoons uh, uh, viewers out there and animation uh, participants, uh, the character of Jean Grey from Marvel lore, uh, she becomes the phoenix where there's birth, destruction, death, and rebirth. So whether it's atrophy or entropy, uh, you're talking about uh, the embodiment that there is legacy that's being built and continued on and some are being destroyed and some are carried on by other people that you would least expect. Um, but still the, the fight goes on. I can remember when, um, my mother transitioned, uh, I had seven individuals close to me, uh, during that period, uh, that were no longer physically with us. And it dawned on me that, nothing was ever going to be the same and of course you know you would think well that's obvious duh but at that same token i was like but their legacy is still carried on with my with my children with me Hmm. with the people that they've touched the lives that they've touched with uh you know anything from a handshake i mean uh my uncle uh my paternal uncle he was known for being just friends with everyone and i'd have all these people come up to me and like oh you're Charles's nephew. He was so nice and he did this and he did that. Countless stories. And just in that scene alone, it was like, oh, wow. Okay, I get it. And then I juxtapose that with the fact that Einstein has this conversation with uh, Oppenheimer in Princeton. And he says to him, you know, when you guys gave me that award back in, uh, I think it was in Germany or maybe New York, one of the two. And he says, uh, I, it dawned on me that the creation that I made was now being put on display and I was having to answer for the repercussions, the negative repercussions that it brought about. And he yep. says, well, your time's going to come too. And it's not going to be for you when they pin that medal on you or they pull that medal over you. No, nah, it's not going to be any of that. It's going to be for them because they know that they he basically saying they know that they messed up and they did you dirty and they abandoned you and they threw you under the bus for their own survival. And now once they've reached that point in their life where they see uh, more days behind them and in front of them, they need reassurances that you're going to forgive them or that you have forgiven them. And I think that's part of the rebirth, the destruction and the uh, living and the legacy that you carry forward, all encapsulated in that one scene. We're talking about someone who uh, started off uh, uh, very fragile, uh, that fragility is omnipresent throughout the entire movie. You see him literally, if it's walking on eggshells uh, with trying to convey to individuals that he's uh, studying under. Um, and they say to him, oh, man, you need to go to here or you need to go over there or get out of this field or don't be in the lab or don't do this. And, and it's that thinking, that, that, that process that he's going to that helps give him the 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 impetus to carry on. But it's the irony is you don't hear anything about his parents. But if you know his real story, his father was very influential in him developing into the man that he became. And his mother, she too, even though she transitioned at a relatively young age in his life, that in itself was very uh, a monumentous uh, uh, catapult for him becoming the man that he became. Uh, 
And you would think, wow, how could somebody who's so naive and, and so insecure in these other areas be so uh, cavalier and, and charismatic with uh, speaking to women and, and doing all these things? And I think it's that inner voice. CJ always tells me, you know, you have to be comfortable with getting and receiving compliments and you have to look yourself in the mirror and be able to say, you know what, I am great. And I struggle with uh, accepting uh, big ups, compliments, uh, spotlight attention. But I think I see certain things. I'm not liking myself to the brilliance of this man being able to create this type of uh, impact on the world to this degree. Because literally, we've covered everything from AI and its implement, whether it's, grand, it's grassroots, it's, its beginnings, starting with him assisting in the project of the creation of the atomic bomb and splitting atoms. Um, and even his uh, paper that got pro uh, that published about black holes, um, even though that was a true event, they didn't even use the term black holes until another three decades later. Um, but again, that goes to his greatness, his legacy, the rebirth of him in his own in his own community, in his own sphere, in his own square, being able to be the master of his domain. Um, that theme of rebirth, renewal, trial by fire, re, uh, just being able to overcome any and all obstacles is is a tremendous influence uh, allegory theme throughout the entire movie. And with that being said, uh, CJ, aren't we doing another movie that talks about similar themes next week? I think so. Yeah, next week. Yeah, first, yo, that that was a. Uh... That was college class level right there, man. <laughs> that, was, that was that was a nuclear physicist breakdown of a nuclear physicist movie, man. That's we have to add liner you, notes to liner notes to these things when we close out at the end. But yeah, uh, yeah. So our next, so yes, yeah, so that brings to a close our discussion on Oppenheimer. Um, like I was saying in the beginning, me and Will have have uh, we're in agreement on this one. This is a. Uh, a movie that you should definitely see if you love movies. If you don't see it, one day people will be like, you didn't see Oppenheimer? That's how that will be. Um, next next week, we are going to be talking about Seven. Yes, the yes. Movie Seven. So this will be a little, this will be the first time we talk about something that's really, I guess, a, a horror slash uh, thriller kind of movie. And, and mm. Seven is awesome. So we'll, we'll have a, I'm sure there's a, there's a lot of themes to talk about in that one. So um, as once again, you can find this podcast, Sticky Floors, uh, wherever podcasts can be found. We're on the we're on those platforms. Um, please uh, like, um, rate, comment about, and subscribe. Yes, Otherwise, please. we will see you next week. Take care. Yes.